Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join our lead pastor, Mike Wiggins, with the message, Victory Over Darkness. All right, so as Peter wrapped up his first letter, what he did is that he warned the Christian community about their common enemy, the devil. The main verse today is verse eight. This is what Peter says under the inspiration of the Spirit to all those churches in Asia Minor. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to devour. And so the presence of a spiritual evil being in our midst, it's a reality that all Christians have got to come to grips with. But it's not just one evil being. Actually, there are many evil beings. There's a network of demonic beings and they have a goal. Their goal is to bring about your ruin and my ruin. In fact, Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. All right, that very first sentence is so applicable to everybody's lives, okay? Because um, what happens is so often Christians get into disputes with other people, flesh and blood. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, plural, against the authorities, plural, against the cosmic powers, plural, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. All right, so there is, very clearly, a darkness that has pervaded our planet, and it was brought on by demonic entities in heavenly or high places. So if you're new to biblical Christianity, here's what you need to know, that this has not always been the case. How many of you guys really believe in your heart of hearts that God is good? Do you really believe that? I mean, if you do, say amen, shout, raise your hand or something. God is good. There's no evil in him at all. There's no darkness in him at all. God is pure, God is righteous, God is holy, and God is good. And when he initially created the world, it too was good. In fact, in the words of the creator, it was very good. In the first chapter of Genesis, we see this. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was, shout out the next two words, very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And so originally, the earth was not a dark and dangerous place like it is now. No, it was pure. The earth was perfect. The earth was very good. So what went wrong? How did a world that was once filled with so much light become so dark? Well, it's not so much what went wrong, but who went wrong, and his name is Lucifer. You see, before God created the first human couple, he created the angels, including an angel that Ezekiel calls the anointed cherub. So, you know, this cherub, this special angel that was part of the cherubim, his name was Lucifer. By the way, I know 100% it's a fact that God created angels before he created human beings. The reason I know that is because of Job 38.7. In Job 38.7, it says that when God, who's infinite, God, who's eternal, God, who's transcendent, and God, who's a spirit, 
when he created the space-time material universe, when he created the world, it says in Job 38, seven that the angels were there and they were singing and they were shouting and clapping. Okay, and so the angels were already created before Adam and Eve were created. And just like God originally made the earth perfect, and just like he would make Adam and Eve perfect, you need to know that he made the angels, including Lucifer, perfect. God is perfect, that's all he can do. He can only create perfect things. But along with the perfection, God also gave angels and humans a priceless gift. And so I'm kinda doing a long introduction today, because what I wanna do is I wanna help you develop a biblical worldview, a true worldview, before we get into this topic of spiritual warfare, and I want you to know where evil came from. And so along with perfection, God gave both angels and humans a priceless gift, and that gift is the gift of free will. Both angels and humans were given the gift of choice. They could choose either follow God or rebel against God, and sadly, Lucifer made the choice to rebel against God. Isaiah gave us a glimpse into what happened. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna read briefly from Isaiah chapter 14, and we're gonna get a glimpse from the prophet Isaiah of what happened in Lucifer's heart. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn? How you are cut to the ground, you who laid the nations low. And you said in your heart, here's what's called the famous five I wills, right? It's self-will, it's self-promotion. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. You see the arrogance there, the pride, the self-promotion. And what happened? Verse 15 says, but you are brought down, brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. And so apparently, as Lucifer saw the majesty of God, he desired in his heart the position of God. And I wanna warn everybody, if you see yourself here and there's somebody here and you want that person's position, don't do it through self-promotion. Don't allow jealousy to creep into your heart. Don't allow pride to creep into your heart. Don't start talking about how this person doesn't even know what they're doing, and so you're gonna take their position. If you do that, you're emulating Satan. Let God promote you when God's ready to promote you. And we're gonna see in a little while that the way that we are promoted is through humility anyway. And so perhaps Lucifer thought, you know, look how beautiful I am. Look how great I am. Shouldn't I receive some recognition? Should I, shouldn't I get, you know, some hand claps? I'm gonna make myself like the most high God. And Lucifer allowed, he made a choice. He allowed pride to pervert his perfection. And somehow, Revelation uh, 12 verse four alludes to this fact. Somehow, we don't know how, he's an evil genius, but somehow he was able to persuade a third of the angels to join him in a rebellion against God. Of course, we know God is infinite. He's the creator, Lucifer is just the creation. And by the way, we reject dualism. 
We don't believe you know, in, in good and evil having equal power. That's nonsense. God is the creator, angels are his creation, and they're given the choice of free, of free will, the gift of free will, and they make their choices, but the fact remains that only God is infinite, only God is eternal, only God is transcendent. And so what happened is that God created Lucifer, and what did he do? He allowed his pride to pervert his, uh, his perfection, and he led a coup. The coup d'etat failed. And what happened was that he and his followers got the boot. They got the boot, they got kicked out of heaven, and you guys know where they came, right? Where'd they come? Yeah, read the headlines. <laughs> They're here. They came here, why? Because Lucifer, if he couldn't have his way in heaven, he was gonna do whatever it takes to wreak as much havoc as he can on earth. And so most of us know the rest of the story. Lucifer, who is now known as Satan, the word Satan means adversary, he was able to lure the first human couple to sin. Adam and Eve, who were also created perfect initially. Adam and Eve, who were also given the gift of free will. What happened there? They made a choice. They made a choice to eat from the one tree that God told them not to eat from. You got all these beautiful trees, this amazing, perfect creation, this garden of Eden, and there's one tree, God says don't eat from that tree, and what tree do they eat from? That tree. And so what happened? They sinned. Eve was deceived, we find out later in scripture. Eve was deceived, Adam just plain out rebelled against the Lord. And that sin, ladies and gentlemen, listen, caused the entire perfect creation to fall. It's called the fall of mankind. And what happened at that point is that darkness and death engulfed the world. And you need to know that Adam's sin was passed on to his progeny. That's Romans chapter five, verse 12. As by one man, Adam's sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Okay, and so let's recap. God who's perfect makes a perfect being. Adam, then he makes another perfect being, Eve. He gives them the priceless gift of freedom, free will choice. They decide to exercise that free will in a wrong way. They sin, and because of their sin, they plunge an entire creation that was perfect into darkness, into death. And somebody, might, somebody may be thinking right now, Pastor, do you think it was worth it? Do you think it was worth God giving them the gift of free will? for an entire planet to be plunged into darkness. And as we look around the world today, and we see all the murder and all the theft and all the rape and all the hatred and all the bigotry and all the riots and all the ruin, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As we look around the, the world today, as we read history and see the unthinkable things that have happened in the past, we may think it wasn't worth it. But here's what you gotta do. You gotta do what the old time radio announcer, Paul Harvey, said. You gotta read the rest of the story. You gotta turn all the way to the right and read the last two chapters of the Bible. Because when you read the last two chapters of the Bible, you find out that God is so good and he has such amazing intentions for his higher creatures for all eternity that guess what? God's gonna defeat evil and he's gonna win in the end. That's the truth. 
So all of this is true. All of this is a biblical worldview, but there's more. I've shared with you this quote a number of times, but it's so good, it's so insightful, it's so apropos to our topic, I wanna share it with you again. You gotta get this. C.S. Lewis, his book, Mere Christianity, he said, free will, though it makes evil possible, right? We're gonna talk about spiritual warfare here in a moment. Where did evil come from? Well, free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love. Now, is there anybody in this room that likes love, yes or no? Yeah. Does anybody like goodness or joy? All right, so free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that work like machines, would hardly be worth creating. He said the happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. C.S. Lewis had a way with words, but what is he saying essentially? What he's saying is what good would it have been for God to create a world filled with automation or robots? who have to obey God because they're programmed to. What good would that have been? No good at all. Why? Because in that kind of environment, there can't be any love, there can't be any goodness, there can't be any joy, there can't be any freedom that exists in that kind of world. Therefore, our all-knowing God, who could see the future perfectly, and you gotta, listen, when you find yourself in certain places listening to certain theologians or pastors, you gotta be very, very careful because there's actually theologians today that are saying that God can't see the future. Are you kidding me? God is either God or he's not. He's either eternal and infinite and omniscient and omnipresent and, and all-knowing or not. And so yeah, God can see the future. And as God saw the future, yes, even the darkness that would descend on his perfect creation, he thought it was worth it. He thought it was worth it to create human beings with the priceless gift of freedom, listen to this, while devising a plan to fix the mess that we would make with our freedom. That's our God and that's his grace. And so from all eternity, God ordained his son, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was not some afterthought, this was God's plan from the beginning. God ordained that his son, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Lagos, would come to earth on a mission to seek and save those who are lost, clothe himself in humanity, 100% God, 100% man, live a perfect life, go to a cross, pay the price in blood for our redemption, rise from the dead, and defeat death, hell, and the grave. That's our Christ, that's our hero, and he offers this salvation to anybody who responds to his light. Anybody who turns to him in repentance and faith. And ladies and gentlemen, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we're gonna have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Listen to this, think about this. Think about your future that Christ bought for you with his blood. We're gonna live in the new Jerusalem. We're gonna live on a new earth. We're gonna live under a new heavens forever and ever. And we're gonna be linked up with God 
voluntarily through Jesus Christ in an ecstasy of love and delight forever. Was it worth it? Was it worth him giving us free will? Yes, absolutely. So let's not try to blame God for all the darkness and all the evil. It's not his fault. It's our fault. We're the ones who went astray, and he has done everything he can to do whatever he can to woo us and win us back. The problem is not with God. The problem is with man. The problem that we have is that we think that we're higher than God or smarter than God or wiser than God or somehow more moral than God where we lecture God. No, God is good. Period. God is good. Man, we're so messed up in our thinking. We are so arrogant in our thinking. We got to get a biblical worldview. This is one of the reasons I love the school across the street, because little kids are learning this kind of stuff on their level, but they're learning it slowly but surely. Don't listen to the culture's view of the world. Open the Bible. Someone says, Pastor, are we chosen by God or do we have a free will? If you're listening to me, say amen. amen. Are we chosen by God or do we have a free will? Yeah. Yeah. Both. And if you missed my message on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse two, the Trinity and our salvation, I encourage you to go back and listen to the word of God. Now, as we discuss spiritual warfare, so important you gotta get this right from the very beginning. And that is that Christ has already defeated the darkness through his death, burial, and resurrection. He already did it. Therefore, those of us who belong to him, who've been born again, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory but we're still in a fight, <laughs> and it's still hard. But here's what Jesus has done in fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus Christ, right, the seed of the woman, there's the serpent, can you see the serpent down there? This is what he did through his death and resurrection. <laughs> Stepped on his head. He crushed the head of the serpent. He's won. The war has been won. Here's what you know, you need to know. Even though the head has been crushed, the tail still swishes. It's swishing. And we gotta know how to deal with the tail. And so we come to the last section of Peter's first letter and he gives us some real practical advice of how to deal with the devil and live in victory, the victory that is already ours in Jesus Christ. So if you're looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Can you say amen? amen? Okay, just verse by verse. Let's look at it. He says, likewise, you who are younger. All right, so all the young people in the church, listen up. And by the way, this is not a descriptive verse describing something. This is a prescriptive verse. This is a commandment from God. This is how we have to look at the scriptures. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the who? The elders. Clothe yourselves, how many of you? So that includes the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And why is this important? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, 
he, not you, he may exalt you. All right, as we think about this, I want you to imagine tonight, you wake up, it's 3 a.m., you're hungry, so you go to the kitchen to get some ice cream. Anybody ever do that? And you turn on the light, and when you turn on the light, if there's any roaches in the kitchen, what do the roaches do? What are the roaches, and I, this never happens in my house, because my, my wife keeps a clean house, and I'm not talking about any of your houses. This is other people's houses, okay? Just don't send me emails, thank you. But when you turn on the light, what do roaches do? They run. All right, <laughs> never happened. And so if we wanna overcome spiritual darkness, here's what we gotta do, turn on the light. Turn on the light of humility and pride, the roaches of pride will flee. So at the beginning of verse five, Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he calls on those who are younger to submit to the elders of the church. Now that's good advice, why? Because these elders, some of them have been walking with the Lord for decades. They have a wealth of experience. They've been around the block a couple thousand times. And so they can help the younger people if the younger people would just listen it's, and not have an attitude like, you know, the older people are irrelevant. No, we, we all are in this together. And so that's how he starts verse five, but then in the second part of verse five, he then says, all of you, that includes the elders, right? All of you be clothed with humility. And so it's not that like the elders walk around like they're big shots, barking orders ever. No, they need to listen to the younger people in the church because we're all clothed with humility. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, what causes church splits? It's pride. Pride is what causes division. People who don't get their way, they don't like what decisions are being made and so I'm gonna take my ball, I'm gonna go home. And, and Peter's saying, wait, wait, time out. Everybody in the church, the olders and the youngers, right? Let's all clothe ourselves with humility and realize, you know, Christ is the Lord of the church anyway. But regarding humility, David Guzik wrote this. He said, humility is demonstrated by, what's the word? Submission, you guys see that? So important that we don't just talk about this stuff, but we walk it out. Humility is demonstrated by submission. It is the ability to cheerfully, that's a good attitude, right? put away our own agenda for God's, even if God's agenda is expressed through another person. We saw last week that you know, God has set up an authority structure in the church, and there's elders, pastors, overseers, whatever term you wanna use, they are used interchangeably in the New Testament, and so the elders, the pastors, are given various um, levels of authority within, depending on what local church you're in, and so this is how God expresses his agenda, first through his word, through his Holy Spirit, but also through the leaders of the church. And so well, what do we have to do? Have a cheerful attitude, put away our agenda, or God's agenda, even if that agenda is expressed through another person. That's a powerful statement, but then he goes on, Guzik does, and he gives four marks of humility. I'm trying to be as practical as possible where the rubber meets the road is right here. Number one, and we gotta ask ourselves, how are we doing in this? 
What is the first mark of humility? It's the willingness to perform the lowest and littlest services for Jesus' sake. All right, so as we think through this, we gotta ask ourselves, are we willing to perform tasks that some people would consider beneath them? You know, are we willing to clean the bathrooms? Are we willing to serve coffee? Are we willing to park cars, even in the summer months when it's so hot? By the way, we, we, we don't do this enough. I don't know if I've ever done this. Can we just give it up right now for our parking team? Our parking team's amazing. They are amazing. I mean, they're out there sweating. Some of these guys have been out there for years. And I'm just so grateful for the men and women who work out there. But, but you know, are we willing to clean bathrooms? Are we willing to serve coffee? Are we willing to park cars? Are we really willing to spend time with the kids? Or do we have the attitude of, no, that's, that's kind of beneath me. Number two, another mark of humility, consciousness of our own inability to do anything apart from God. I love that. This is, this is good stuff here. All right, so do we really believe in our heart of hearts that Christ is the vine? I think I prayed about this earlier. Christ is the vine and we're just branches and it's from him, that's where love comes and power and life and wisdom, right? We're just branches that are hanging out and because of his grace, right, we bear fruit, but hey, guess what? He gets the glory. Do we really believe that? that without Jesus we can do nothing of any spiritual significance. Regarding number three, the third mark, the willingness to be ignored of men. And so are we willing to serve in obscurity even if nobody notices? And it's so important, I know this, um, that, that we gotta encourage one another, right, and build each other up. And, and I'm so grateful for all of you who serve the Lord, but, but sometimes you know, we forget. And so if you don't get the pat on the back, are you still willing to serve? Because listen, you're not serving man, you're serving the Lord. Number four, being truly other-centered instead of self-centered. And so are we proving this other-centeredness by actually getting out of the pew and serving the Lord and his people in some way, shape, or form? You see, what is this called? It's called humility. It reminds me of the words of Jesus. Look at Jesus' words in John 8. I'm sorry, Luke 14. Everyone who exalts himself is gonna be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be what? Exalted, right? And so those words of Jesus so impacted Peter, I want you to see what he wrote in verse six again. So please look at 1 Peter 5, verse six. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. And so that leads to this powerful principle right here. I really want you guys to get this. If you don't get anything else, this is worth coming to church today right here. The way down is up. But the way up is down. All right, so how do you know the way down is up? We know that from Lucifer. He wanted to go up. I will ascend above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high God. Right? Self-promotion. And we all know what direction he went in after that, right? 
What direction did he go in? Down, down to the earth. Later on, he's gonna go down into the abyss for a thousand years. And after that, he's gonna be going down into the lake of fire. So the way down is up, pride. But the way up is down. How do we know that's true? Because of Jesus. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, just listen to Philippians 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Listen to this. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, he chose humility. He chose to go down. All right, so what direction did he go in? Verse nine of Philippians two, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You see it? In life, the way up in life is all about humility. And you know, I just, I really want to make sure everybody knows Jesus is the center of this church. We're not a perfect church. We got a long way to go. But here's what we know. Jesus is center. And so on the count of three, I want everybody, like you mean it, to say Jesus is Lord. You guys ready for this? Let's exalt him for a second. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. And one day, whether people like it or not, everybody's gonna say those words. I'd rather say it because I want to now and because I have to later. Look at the next principle found in the next verse, verse seven. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if we wanna overcome spiritual darkness, if you're taking notes, number two, you gotta turn on that light. Turn on the light of trust and like roaches, worry will flee. You know, we can get victory over worry. Now our Father in heaven who loves us, he knows as long as we're living on this fallen, in this fallen world that we are gonna be inundated with challenges, right? And what could happen, depending on how we respond, is that those challenges could lead to worry if we allow that to happen. Again, super practical, right? All of us face challenges in our marriage, challenges with our kids, challenges in our homes, challenges in the workplace, challenges down at whatever school our kids are attending, um, challenges in the neighborhood with some neighbor, right, who you're arguing with or whatever, challenges uh, with our health, our finances, our self-identity, our relationships, on and on and on. And so I want you to hear this. The problem isn't so much with our challenges, Right, because the Bible says that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And if we respond correctly to challenges, God will use those challenges to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. So the problem isn't so much with the challenges. Here, here it is, if you're with me, say amen here. The challenge, I mean the problem, is when we choose to worry in response to the challenges. There's your problem. So whatever challenges were being inundated and when we 
and it is a choice. When we make a choice to start worrying, here's what happens. It's like a big backpack filled with bricks on our back, and we're getting hit with challenges, and we're beginning to worry. And every time we worry, it's another brick, and another brick, and another brick. Now, I don't know about you, but if I get too much weight on my back, I'm slowing down, and I'm not as effective in serving the Lord and helping people the way I need to be. Why? I got this backpack on. And listen, we are not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. And this is one of the things I'm doing, right? Right now I'm exposing the schemes of the devil so that you guys will know what those schemes are. Here's one of his main schemes. He wants to keep adding bricks to your backpack of worry. Why? Because he knows if he can just slow you down enough, eventually he can get you to stop serving God and stop helping others, and then he's won. All right, so let's resist the devil. Let's get against that. How do you do it? Verse seven, cast your care on him. Give that backpack to the Lord. Spurgeon used to put it this way. Spurgeon used to use an illustration of um, wearing a heavy backpack while you're trying to help somebody move. So can you imagine if this afternoon I come to your house to help you move some furniture, right? And I, ding dong. Oh, hey, Pastor Mike, yeah, I just wanna help you move. All right, here's a couch over here. And I come in with a 100-pound backpack? All right, let's go, let's lift this thing up. And I'm barely moving already because I got the backpack on and I'm gonna try to move a couch with you? Now what are you gonna say to me? Take off the backpack, and then you'll be freed up to be able to help me in a more effective way. You know, I, I try to, in my study, think, Lord, how do you get these truths from your head to your heart? And I think the Lord gave me this, but how many of you are parents? Let me see your hands. All right, moms and dads, listen. How many of you really want your kids to carry around worry and fear? Do you want your kids to feel that? How, how does it make you feel when you walk into, if you walk into their bedroom and there's your, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 year old and they're filled with worry, they're filled with fear. Here's what I know, moms and dads, you're gonna do whatever you can do to relieve that backpack of worry, that heavy weight from them. Now listen, God loves us a million times more than we'll ever love our kids. This is our God, he's got some broad shoulders, man, he is strong. And here's what he's saying through Peter. Hey, cast your care on me. Give it to me. I don't want you to be like this. Just give it to me. But here's what you gotta do. You gotta have some seasons of prayer with the Lord. Faith-filled prayers where you're trusting that God exists, where you're trusting that he actually is your father through faith in Jesus, that you're trusting that he really doesn't want you to carry around all this worry, and you just gotta keep giving it to him. This is one of those prayers, listen, you're gonna be praying for the rest of your life. God, here you go. I know I gave this to you like five minutes ago, but here you go again. And how many, how many of you believe God's faithful? He'll take it. He will take it. Look at verse eight. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. All right, so resist him. Firm in your what? Faith, the Christian faith. Where do we get the Christian faith? We get it from the risen Christ, and it's written in the Bible. 
Affirming your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All right, so if we wanna overcome spiritual darkness, number three, we gotta turn on the light of truth. And the devil and the demons like roaches are going to flee. So if you, don't know, if you don't know a lot about eschatology or end times events, you can go back and find my a series on Revelation, all 22 chapters, verse by verse, it's on our website. But if you don't know this, um, when Jesus Christ comes back, here's what's gonna happen. The devil's gonna be captured, and the devil is gonna be thrown into the lake of, um, sorry, into the abyss, the bottomless pit, for a thousand years. What a great day that's gonna be, right? But until that day, he prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's seeking somebody to devour. Chuck Swindoll has got a way with words too. He said, like wanderers in the wild savannas of Africa, we must always be aware Somebody, somebody's hunting us. The lion lurks quietly in tall grass, stalking our every step, waiting for the moment to catch us off guard. If we stray away from the group, put down our weapons, doze in the sun, he's gonna strike. We must never forget that we are his prey and that this roaring lion is, a, is ravenous with hunger. And so that's an accurate depiction. So what do we have to do? We gotta do what Peter said, be sober-minded, and also be watchful. Listen to this. The second we turn our back, he's gonna attack. Check this out, family goes to the zoo. They go look at the, oh, look at the pretty kitty kitty lion. Well now look what happens. The second that little kid turned his back, what did the lion do? The lion attacked. And I guarantee you, mom and dad are, were so happy for that glass barrier that was in place, right? All right, so here's the heart of your pastor. Everybody look at me. Here's our glass barrier right here. God's truth is the barrier. But listen, it will not protect us from the attacks of the roaring lion unless we know it well and use it well. You gotta, listen, you can't just once a month to go to church, blow dust off, you know, and open it once a month. No, it's not gonna help. You gotta know it well, and you gotta know how to use it well. Or said another way, the light of truth, right? If you turn it on, the devil and demons are gonna flee. And so Jesus Christ is our example in this. I know you know this, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on it, but when Jesus did his spiritual warfare, you remember when he was tempted in the wilderness? Okay, so what did he use to fight the enemy? The word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. It's just like swinging a sword at the devil's head. And what does the Bible say? The devil left him. Why? Because this book is powerful. That's why. Most powerful book on the planet. It's God's breathed out word. And the devil cannot stand up to the word of God. But we gotta know it well and we gotta use it well. I wanna go a little deeper here for just, uh, for just a little while. What does our warfare look like? Paul writes the church of Corinth and he says this. This is 2 Corinthians 10, four and five. The weapons of our warfare, Christian, are not carnal but mighty in God 
for the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, that's mental strongholds. Casting down arguments, that's mental arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the, what of God? Knowledge of God. Now look at this, this takes effort, this takes work. Bringing every thought. Man, this is, this is like astounding here. Every thought, Christian, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so the battlefield of our spiritual warfare, please everybody look at me, is not on a field somewhere. The, our battle is right between our ears, right here in our head. As we pull down mental strongholds and cast down uh, mental arguments and take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Some have suggested that approximately we think about 50,000 thoughts every single day. It's a lot of thoughts, right? But it's those thoughts that come from the world and the flesh and the devil and demons. Those are the thoughts that we have to take captive and make obedient to Christ. Thoughts of pride not based in humility. Thoughts of worry not based in trust. Thoughts of lies, not based in truth. Thoughts of despair, not based in hope. And so here's what we do. The moment a aberrant thought comes into our head, a thought that's contrary to the word of God, what do we have to do? Well, we got a choice. We can either dwell on it and get another brick in our backpack, or we can do what God says and we can take that thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Now, how do we make it obedient to Christ? If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Here it is, it's gonna help you. You replace that thought with the word of God. Look at what Jesus said in John 8. If, that's a big if, it's a choice. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you're gonna know the truth and the truth is gonna what? Set you free. And so the next time you have that thought that's contrary to the word of God, here's what I want you to do. If it's bothering you, you're obsessing about it, whatever, go to your study Bible. I think pretty much every study Bible has a topical index in the back. Look A to Z, right? Look up whatever you're dealing with. There's gonna be some verses underneath it. It takes work, I know it takes effort, I know. But God has not called us to be lazy Christians. We have to be watchful because the devil's out there. And so here's these verses, right? And so pick one or two of them, meditate on them, memorize them, internalize them, and if you have to, like Jesus, man, confess them out loud in your spiritual warfare. And here's what I know. As you meditate on the word, as you memorize the word, and as you mobilize the word and allow it to replace your wrong thinking, Here's what's gonna happen, the lion's coming for you, but glass barrier because of the word of God. Glass barrier because of the word of God. Year after year, decade after decade. Listen, I've seen too many people fall. We can do this. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can make it to our dying day, our last breath, not perfect, but victorious because Christ has already won the victory, amen? All right, we got one more point. We got one more point and we're done. Look at verse 10. He says, and after you have 
suffered a while. It's like, Peter, you keep saying this, right? But it's true, we live in a fallen world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you, no more suffering, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever, amen. And so one day we're all gonna get home if we know Christ. We're gonna experience his eternal glory. It's called glorification. At that time, there's gonna be no more suffering. But until that day, we gotta turn on the light of hope. And that's your final point. If you wanna overcome spiritual darkness, number four, turn on the light of hope and despair will flee. I know this is what a lot of people deal with this. And so please stay with me to the end. You gotta turn on that light of hope. And so here's what we know, that as we suffer, not if we suffer, but as we suffer in this fallen world, we got to believe certain truths about God's word. We gotta confess those truths. We gotta act upon those truths. And as we do that, we're turning on the light of hope. Not hope so hope, but sure hope. Here's some truths, right? As we're suffering, we really believe that God is sovereign over our lives, over everything, including suffering. So we really believe that. And so if you really believe that God is sovereign over the suffering in your life, can you just say amen if you believe that? And then secondly, we really believe that all things are really working together for our good and God's glory. If you really believe that, say amen. amen. And then thirdly, we believe that our past suffering, God is using it in the present to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. That's right there in verse 10. So this is not just waiting for our glorification, but in this life, God is using the suffering to make us like Jesus, if you really believe that, say amen. amen. All right, so these are the truths we gotta believe. These are the truths we gotta confess. These are the truths we got to act upon, and as we do that, boom, we turn on that light of hope, and despair flees away. If we don't turn on that light, nobody, nobody wants to go down that road. Verse 12, he says, in closing, by Silvanus, that's Silas, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. And so you guys remember Silas, the missionary partner of the Apostle Paul, first missionary, or no, second missionary journey. Um, Silas, that's him right there, and he's the secretary. He's writing as Peter's talking. He says, by Silvanus, Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, I wonder what Peter would think about 15 weeks in Peter, um, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, that's code word for Rome, the church of Rome. Peter's a wanted man, he doesn't want anybody to know where he is, so he calls Rome Babylon. So the church that's at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son, and so Mark, the author of the second gospel in your New Testament, Peter's son in the faith, Peter discipled this young man. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you 
who are in Christ Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank the Lord that he loves us enough to breathe out his scripture as holy men of God spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, so helpful for us even 2,000 years later.